Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. How many of you know that when we look at the Bible, it's more than literature, it's more than words. It is spirit. When you read the Bible, you're not just reading Shakespeare or some good book by some good author. You're reading the words and the Spirit of God in the pages, and it has a lot of meaning beyond what's actually written. That's why people don't understand the Scriptures, and when they read certain verses, they don't understand what they're saying, and the Bible is both bread and it is water. It, it feeds us, it washes us, it refreshes us, and it cleanses us. And we need good doses of it. Now, here's a verse that you might not have understood, which we'll open with. And I'll make a couple of comments, and then we'll get to a big chunk of Scripture. And then I'll unpack that with four simple points that we'll look at. So at least you know where I'm going. If you're visiting today, I'm not without beginning or without end. And I'm not beyond understanding. I'm just letting you know this is where we're heading. Doesn't it help when you know where someone's going? Otherwise, what is he trying to say? And I'll give you the title in a moment. Joshua chapter 5. The children of Israel are about to go into Jericho. And uh, to conquer Jericho is the first city that God has given them. So it's a very important moment. And Joshua is a bit apprehensive. He has the army of Israel ready. And the scripture says in verse 13, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I mean, you know, it's like, what? And then he said this, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. He's asking, are you on our side or their side? And he says, you know what? I'm the commander of the Lord's army. God is not on man's side. No matter where the man finds himself, God is on his side. And you need to acknowledge that God's got an agenda. God's got a will. God's got a desire. God's got a, a picture of what he wants to do. And you need to reverence that, not try and get God onto your agenda. You know, we serve a king and he has a kingdom. I don't know if you realize that. We seldom talk about the kingdom of God. 68 times in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is mentioned. And it's not talking about heaven because the kingdom of heaven is not synonymous with the kingdom of God. It is different to the kingdom of God. It is future. But the kingdom of God is right here now. It is God's rule, God's values, God's principles, God's laws, God's desires, God's way of thinking, God's way of operating. And if you're a Christian, you should be operating according to the kingdom of God, not according to man's kingdom. Too many Christians are trying to merge God's kingdom with the world's kingdom in order to be relevant, but Babylon in the Bible is the picture of the kingdoms that merge, and God says one day he will destroy it, and he will replace it with his kingdom. Are you with me? And so it's very important that we understand that the kingdom we live in is a kingdom that's in conflict with the kingdom of the world. That's why we have tension and challenges as we live in this world. The world is, is, is opposed to the kingdom, and the kingdom is, in a sense, opposed to the world. If you think of the kingdom, you've got sheep and goats. 
They look similar, but they're not. Two different things, wheat and weeds. They grow together, but they're not the same thing. The one feeds, the one is pointless. Light and dark, life and death, blessing and cursing. We serve in, in the kingdom of God, and there are two kingdoms which are in conflict, right and wrong, sin and righteousness, and we need to know which kingdom we are living in. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stay with me here. Why does he say pray that first before you ask for your daily bread? Because if you don't put his kingdom first and then you ask for stuff, it'll go to your head, make you greedy, make you arrogant, make you selfish. But if you pray your rulership over me, your principles, your generosity, be giving to the kingdom, I pray that first, then give me everything else, then I'll hold it in correct perspective. See here, Jesus says this again in Matthew's gospel before we read our chunk because I want to just set the stage here for what I'm saying. Matthew chapter 6, he says, oh, Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his what? Kingdom and his righteousness. Notice his kingdom and his righteousness, not yours. And all these things will be given to you as well. So God's not saying, hey, you're a Christian. Don't, go, don't you dare think of going to Zara or to H&M or to some fancy shop and buying yourself a nice pair of pants or shoes or a nice dress. No, he's saying, put me first. Then when you do buy a Versace or, a, or some expensive thing, you don't walk around like, I see people wearing suits and they still keep the label on the outside. They haven't first sought the kingdom. So the blessing now becomes about them instead of about him. So it's a very important principle that we serve God's kingdom. And this is what you've got to ask yourself today before we read our key text this morning. It's the title of the message, Who is on the Lord's Side? Because too many Christians are on their side and they even are on the world's side. And people even have the audacity to talk to us as leaders and pastors and ask us why we don't embrace certain things that are completely contrary to the kingdom. It makes me realize they go to church, but they don't understand kingdom thinking. And they're not on God's side, they are on their side. So let's read an important passage of scripture this morning. And remember I said the word of God is spiritual Everything in the word in the Old Testament has spiritual meaning, which now is interpreted in the New Testament through Jesus, and you get to see it in a new light. We're reading from Exodus, and in a moment we will start reading Exodus 32, so if you're making notes. It's the story of Moses going up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. It's written by the finger of God. He's having a face-to-face -face encounter with God, and God's telling him to bring his kingdom down to the children of Israel. While he's busy up there with God, receiving God's instructions, God's laws, God's values, God's principles, Aaron, his brother, is down at the bottom and is busy instituting a new religion made by man, voted in by the people, the complaints of the people, the opinions of the people, and he takes the earrings and he makes a calf and they start worshiping. And we pick it up when Moses is on his 
way down. But we'll pick it up here from Aaron so that you can get the context. Now, verse 5 says, Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. It's amazing how people try and Christianize everything. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings and came to the 8 a.m. service. (laughs) After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Now, the NLT uses pagan revelry. In fact, the good news says an orgy of drinking and sex. And in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 8, this passage is interpreted It says the people committed sexual immorality. They developed a a religion and an altar and a way of worship that included what they wanted, not what God wanted. I want to show you something important here. We're not being negative, we're being clear. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. I love this. Your people. They were his people until this point. Now they're Moses' people. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone, so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. And there's a whole uh, section here where he speaks to the Lord. We don't have time to read, but we skip to verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. In other words, God's laws, God's kingdom. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets, I want you to notice these words, were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. Can we just pause there? Next time you read the Bible and you have a debate with someone and you're trying to split hairs over scripture, you need to remember that the God of heaven came down like never before and revealed himself and gave these words to Moses. They are not up for debate. They are what we're meant to live by, and guess what? When we live by them, life is awesome. We've got all the laws in the world, but what we needed were these personal laws. Then our society would be so much better. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. In other words, like when people come back from war, you know, we've we've won and we've stolen and we've got the victory and we've got the spoils. But Moses replied, no, it's not the shout of victory nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing. See, these, these, this wasn't some dead church, some dead religion. These people were passionate. You can be passionately wrong. I've been to churches where they dance and there's a vibe and everyone's welcome. But it's not the voice of God. It's not the kingdom. Are you hearing me? Says he burned with anger and he threw the tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made, I love this, and he burned it. And then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water and forced the people to drink it. It became like aspirin. Here you go, take a dose. Hectic. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. 
when you are out of control, embracing the world, trying to be relevant, trying to connect, you know, and we're not against anything, the enemy is going, ha, 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 the kingdoms have merged. And no longer is God's kingdom and the king in charge. He stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, now here's the key, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Moses told him, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, each of you, take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 died that day. You can read this in 1 Corinthians 10, by the way. There's where it's expounded upon. We don't have time today. Then Moses told the Levites, today, because of what you've done, you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord. For you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. God blesses those who are on his side. Some of you are like, what? We don't teach this stuff because it's too defining. But here you've got two kingdoms very clearly represented, and they look similar, but they're not the same. And God's asking us today, who is on the Lord's side? Joshua asked him, and he said, I'm not on man's side. No matter how good man is, I'm on God's side, and you need to reverence that. And we've got kingdoms in conflict, two ways of doing things. The people, you know, the Bible says in some translations, the people were running wild. You know, today, churches, they run wild, and they call it grace. We need to be on God's side. We need to have passion. We need to have celebration. We need to have dancing. We had it this morning but we need to be on God's side most of all. Can you say amen? Now, most people say, well, gee, they took swords out and they killed their brothers and sisters. That's not Jesus. Jesus was loving. Let me tell you what Jesus said, and then we'll unpack four things that we need to understand from this passage. Matthew chapter 10, and forgive me for reading so much scripture this morning, but it's necessary to build everything that we believe on scripture. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, not the opinions of men. Now, Jesus said this, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn, and I quote Micah 7, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You see, the cults use this to alienate you from your family, and to get you under their control, and that's the wrong use of this verse, what Jesus was saying is, I've come to preach a message that divides even families, because sometimes your father and mother will be for the wrong kingdom, and if you're going to follow me and be on my side, it's going to divide even your home. Don't put your hand up this morning. Many of you have got tension in your home. Why? Because there are two kingdoms at work in the house. And we've got to serve the Lord's kingdom. So four things I want to bring out of this today as we consider, you know, are we on God's side, is we must choose which side we are on. Number one, we must choose which side we are on. And it might sound obvious, but I think for today, for Christians in the world today, it's time we made up our minds. Which kingdom are we in? And are we on the Lord's side? Or do we want to be on the world's side? Do we want to be on our side, our brand of Christianity, or are we on the Lord's side? Orson Pratt was a brilliant American mathematician, 
and a, a religious leader. And he said this, he said, any people attempting to govern themselves by laws of their own making and by officers of their own appointment are in direct rebellion against the kingdom. How many people, you know, just worship politicians? Uh, the images are everywhere on their t-shirts and everything. It's a form of worship. And that's what they live for. That's in direct rebellion against the kingdom. It needs to be kingdom first, and then politicians under him. Then we'll get it right, and we'll have a proper society. Abraham Lincoln said this, and he was a president, a politician, if you like. He said, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My great concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. You see, when we choose which side we are on, we embrace God's word because God's word reveals God's truth, God's values, God's principles. And this is what a sword does. A sword, when you, when you hit someone with it, it cuts open the flesh. And the Bible says in Hebrews, it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrows. So we don't take a sword and cut people down, but the word of God teaches us what side we ought to live on. And so the word of God is the thing that we need to embrace. It's the thing that divides us from the kingdom's of this world and uh, the values of this world and from Satan's value. And what a lot of people want to do is they want to have a bit of both kingdoms and then they call it relevance. No, no, no. We've got to be on the Lord's side. You'll remember in the book of Revelation chapter 3, we don't have time to read it fully, but the church of Laodicea, it says there that the Lord Jesus speaking to them, he says, I wish that you were hot or cold. But he says, you are neither, you are lukewarm. Therefore, I will spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because I don't know what kingdom you're under. You're trying to embrace the hot and the cold, and you know what? I'd rather not have you at all. You've got to choose the Lord's side. You've got to make a decision. You've got to decide where you stand, and they had not chosen, and we've got to choose God's side. Too many lukewarm churches, not lukewarm in, you know, the music's dynamic, it's, the lights may be amazing, but there's lukewarmness in the belief system because they've not chosen the Lord's side. David Pawson, the late David Pawson, wonderful author, uh, wrote a book called Kingdoms in Conflict. He said, the one thing our nation needs desperately is law-abiding citizens, not just those who abide by human laws, but those who abide by divine laws. We live by the kingdom. Listen to me today. When you get to the robot and it is red and they are all driving, don't you? Don't you? You live by kingdom. Kingdom is order, excellence. Everyone else is bunking at work and leaving early. Yeah, they don't know. We went home, we had a couple of drinks, man. Look at the boss went home at one o'clock and he, kingdom. Kingdom. Choose what side you're on. Number two, this is a very simple message this morning, but I hope it's profound. Because you've got to make a decision every day whose side you're on. God's kingdom is one of submission, not self-expression. We submit to the king. We don't seek to self-express. That's what the people of Israel did. They chose how they were going to worship, who they were going to worship. They chose the dancing, the kind of celebration. And Aaron, as a leader, followed the people instead of leading the people. Beth Moore said this, and I think this is so powerful. She says, oddly, the most freeing thing we can ever do is to abdicate the throne of our own miniature kingdoms. We can't live in our little kingdom. 
our little miniature kingdom, because this is what I want to do, and I, I deserve to be happy. No, I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I walk in obedience and submission, not self-expression. Alan Redpath was a brilliant author, and some of these people I remember from my early Christian life, they've passed away now, but uh, he was a British author and evangelist, and he says this, he says, before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must pray, my kingdom go. <laughs> so true, because we have, like Beth Moore says, these little kingdoms, and the kingdom is not about self-expression, it's about submission. Because we serve a king. You read the gospel of Matthew, the first of the four gospels, and it is the picture of the king. Everything about Matthew is about the king. Isn't that true? And, uh, and so the kingly nature of the king we serve is first in the gospels. We don't do as we like, we do as he likes. And we have an allegiance to a king and his kingdom, not allegiance to our feelings, our traditions, and our family and trends and politics. We don't embrace the fads and ideologies of our culture. We embrace the kingdom and the keys of the kingdom. Now, Jesus said something very important about this. We're talking about submission, and we're talking about the keys. Remember he asked his disciples in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. But he says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, you didn't get this from information. You got this from revelation. And then he says, and I give to you the keys of the kingdom. What are the keys of the kingdom? It's the principles that unlock heavenly things, spiritual things, and unlock people from bondage. For whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. In other words, heaven will cooperate with you as you operate the kingdom down here. Today, if you tell people, hey, you're living with someone, you can't do that, we're going to another church. In other words, you can try and use your keys, buddy. We're going to go to another church where they will just welcome us because we're not against anybody. We just love. And as long as you love her, you know. Listen. The world has taken some of the keys. You go to Christian businesses. Go and look at Christian businesses around the world. Uh, businesses, sorry, not Christian businesses. Businesses around the world. You'll see Christian principles. And you'll think they're Christian. No, they've taken some of the keys but they don't unlock spiritual doors. And when you're a Christian living under the king, you have spiritual keys, you have authority, and you can unlock spiritual matters, and you can deal with spiritual things. Spiritual doors don't open with natural keys. And we've been given the keys of the kingdom. We've got to decide what side we're on. If we submit, we don't self-express. The church needs to know the keys of the kingdom. Now, let me just say this to you. Too many times... We think that the world has got the truth. Now, the church has got the truth. Now, we may not always preach the truth. We may not always have all of the truth. But one thing is we respect truth. We honor truth. And we uphold the truth. Notice here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Love is not the foundation of truth, neither is politics. The church is the foundation of truth. Are you with me? And we need to submit to God's truth. We can't just live for self-expression. The truth is who we are, who God is. 
what we're meant to be doing on the planet and what our future looks like. And we have to submit to that truth and uphold it. Anytime we embrace the truths of the world, we join that kingdom and we actually weaken ourselves and we divide the kingdom of God. Remember this, when the Lord says he's going to destroy Babylon, it's because it's a merging of kingdoms. It's not his kingdom. I, I told a story some years back, and it illustrates what I'm talking about here, as we as Christians need to really choose which side we are on. And, and I'll bring a balance to this in a moment. Some of you are going, oh, my word. Wait. Because this was only point two. Okay? There's a book called The Coming Apostasy. I read it some years ago. I think it was 2020. Very good book uh, by two authors, Mark Hitchcock and Jeff Kinley. And I think I quoted from this book in September 2020, if I, if I remember right. I may have told the story. But as I thought about it again, I thought, that story from that book, let me look it up. And um, it's the story of, of the Spanish Civil War, which took place in 1939. And um, General Mola was in charge of the troops at the time. And the, the war was actually coming to an end. And he was camped outside the city of Madrid. And... Uh, as he prepared to invade the city of Madrid, this is what it says. He had four columns of soldiers stationed around the city. And someone asked him, I don't know who it was, another military general or an, a, a journalist or somebody asked him, as you're going in now to conquer the city, which I believe was the end of the Spanish Civil War, which column will go first? Ben Monday were four. He said this, it became a world famous answer. He said the fifth. They looked at him and said, what are you talking about? He said, there are people inside the city who sympathize with us as the enemy. And once they start bringing insurrection, the other four will come and it will be easy. We'll overrun. And as a result of that, today when you hear the term fifth column, it is synonymous with compromise or rebellion. We've got to make sure that we submit to the kingdom and are not inside as sympathizers because we're weakening the kingdom. We're going to be people who are going to bring breakdown from the inside. Forget about what the devil's trying to do. The kingdom will be broken down from the inside. And today people are not clear about the Lord's side. We're debating and arguing about silly things instead of saying, I'm on the Lord's side. And Moses called the people to come over to him and they were ordained and he promised them a blessing. A.W. Tozer said this, and this is so true of the church today. Christians now chattered, chatter learnedly about things simple believers have always taken for granted. They are on the defensive trying to prove things that a previous generation never doubted. It's about submission, not self-expression. Are you all still with me? Now here's the key, number three. We cannot be on the Lord's side and not reach across. We cannot be on the Lord's side and not reach across to the other side. Are you with me? Otherwise, what we become is like some churches, a holy huddle. We are right. We have the truth. And everyone else is rejected. And if you at all say anything that's counter to the kingdom, you're not welcome here. No, we're not those kind of people. We are on the Lord's side, but now we're trying to reach over to the other side. Are you with me? And it's an extremely important principle our citizenship isn't from here, but at one time our citizenship was from here. We weren't saved. We were part of the world. Someone reached over to us and preached to us, and that's why we got saved. Are you with me? Let me remind you, Paul says here in Ephesians 2, remember that at, 
At that time, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Salvation is not coming to church. It's coming from one side to another. It's changing citizenship from one country to another, if you like. And he goes into saying, John chapter 5 and verse 24, Jesus speaking, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, watch this, and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Who is on the Lord's side? You once were there, but now you're here. How did you get here? Someone reached over, well anchored in the Lord, and brought you over and got you saved. David Platt is a pastor in uh, America in Alabama, and he says the body of Christ is a multicultural citizenry of an otherworldly kingdom. See, we don't need politics to bring us together. We've been reached over and rescued, and now we're on the Lord's side, and we're in his kingdom, but someone reached over and rescued us. Now Paul, writing in Philippians, says this in Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there. In Ephesians 2 and verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. How did we end up being reached? Someone loved and reached us told us we need to repent, we need to come to Christ, we need to submit to his authority, and we agreed and recognized that we needed him, and when we did, we crossed from one kingdom into another, and how did it happen? The sword of the word was preached, and it cut to our hearts, and we responded, and it divided us from the kingdom of the world. Are you with me? And so we've got to keep reaching over, and reaching over to people and uh, Jesus here explains how this will unfold in the last days. This is our task, actually, as Christians. Are you all with me this morning? Matthew chapter 24, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. In other words, the one who stays on God's side. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. We have to stand in our kingdom under Jesus, but we have to constantly reach out and preach to people that they need to come to him and come under his rulership. Probably the best illustration, as the time ticks here, the best illustration of this that I can explain to you is in Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells his disciples, and he uses an interesting term. He says to them, uh, get the boat, let us go over to the other side. Do you remember that? And the Bible says they got in the boat and they went across the sea to a place called the Gadarenes. Now the Gadarenes is where the demoniac was. And Jesus took his disciples across to this, this place. They believed that Gadara was almost the gate of hell because there was sulfur coming out of the ground. It was a place where there were tombs. There were Gentiles there. That's why there were pigs. Remember the pigs went into the sea when Jesus drove the demons out of the man. They went into the pigs and the pigs went into the sea. It's because there were Gentiles there. They were unclean. It was considered to be the other side. You know, with the Jewish side, God's kingdom, God's people under the Ten Commandments. And then there were the Gentiles. Jesus didn't say, stay away from there, those heathen. He went in the boat to the other side. And by the way, do you remember there was a big storm? 
The devil hates it when you cross over to the other side. And a storm came up and Jesus rebuked the storm. If his father had created the storm, he would never have rebuked the storm. But he knew it was from Satan because Satan doesn't want us to go over to the other side because he knows when we get to the other side and we meet people and we encounter them in their difficulty, that all they could do was chain that man up. They couldn't help him. And that's what the world does. They put you in an institution. They'll chain you up behind closed doors or they'll chain you to some kind, kind of drug where you can hardly think straight. But Jesus sets people free. And we have to go over there, preach the gospel, call them to life, call them out of the tombs because he was among the dead. And then when they had finished, here's an interesting thing. We're talking about, you know, Jesus saying we must preach the kingdom and then the end will come. Jesus gets back in the boat. If you read Mark 4 and they go straight back again, they don't mingle and try and get absorbed, but they leave the man behind to be a witness to the kingdom. Go and tell everything God has done. We have got to be rooted in the kingdom. We've got constantly got to go over. The devil will cause a media or a social media storm the minute you speak about the other side. But we've got to go there, rescue people, and then come back. Are you with me? Number four. Is this helping anyone today? We are in the world as God's ambassadors, but not of it. We are in the world as God's ambassadors, but not of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How many of you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador can live in a far country, but he does not absorb the culture of that country because he represents another country. He's there to tell you that the interests of his country are paramount and that he's there not to absorb that culture, but to represent his culture to that culture. You are in it, but not of it, but you need to be a representative and everything about you needs to speak about heaven. When people meet you, they shouldn't go, where are you from? I'm Greek. Oh, no, gosh, I thought you were Portuguese. No, there needs to be clear. The culture of the kingdom needs to be clear in our lives. And when we talk about heaven and we talk about Christianity, they should know, oh, I can see they're ambassadors. They represent their country and um, what their country has to offer. And we need to be people who reflect heaven's culture. Michael Frost, he was an author and wrote a book uh, called Exiles. He said, if your neighbors did an analysis of your life, what would they learn about the kingdom? Quite a challenging question. Now, I'm nearly done here. Uh, we were at a conference just recently, and the topic of the kingdom has come up, and we were very excited about it. And it's something I've preached many, many years ago, probably more than 20 years ago, We've taught on the kingdom, and as the assemblies of God, we taught on the kingdom. But Pastor Lonnie Keane, wonderful man from Ohio, runs a church called Strong Point Church. He was speaking about this topic of ambassadors, and he said this. He said he went to Haiti on a trip there. You know, Americans go to Haiti, and they help out because it's such a, a, a damaged country. And he says as they walked through the streets, there was just filth and stench and rubbish, and, and, and open, open urine running, and, and feces running down the streets, and he said it was just 
absolutely shocking. And, and it was just dirt everywhere. Everything was dirty, broken. Nothing was painted. And then he said, suddenly they came to a house, and it was immaculate. Garden was trimmed. Lawns were clean. The driveway, everything was painted. And as he stopped there, he said, it was the ambassador of America's house. And the reason the ambassador of America's house was not broken down like the rest of Haiti is because the ambassador does not get his source or supply from Haiti. He gets it from America. And so he doesn't live. According to that country's deprivation and impoverishment, he lives according to the values of another country. And he represents that. Listen, we ought not to live like the world lives. If you live in a street where everyone's throwing the rubbish in the street and everything's dirty, oh, well, you go along with it. No, your house needs to stand out. You should be able to drive through a suburb, even a township, and be able to pick out which ones are the Christians. Because kingdom order should be there rather than just going along with the victim mentality and the poverty of the world People want to say, where are you from? Well, I live here, but I'm actually an ambassador. Let me tell you about my king and my country. You see, whenever you leave the kingdom, you become impoverished. As I wrap up today, the prodigal son left, and what did he do? He joined himself to citizens of that far country, and his life went to the pigs. We've got to get away from the pigs and go on to God's side. Who is on the Lord's side today? Hmm? That's the question I want to answer you. And as I wrap up here, Brooke Fraser wrote a wonderful song. She's now Brooke Fraser Liggertwood. But the song's called Hosanna. Anyone remember it? Hosanna. Hosanna. Anyway, she sings these words. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from nothing into eternity. Very powerful words. You know what she's saying? This world is nothing. I belong to another country. And everything I do is for the kingdom's cause. And I'm not attached to this world and its kingdoms. I'm walking away from this into eternity. Because I serve an eternal king. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 